straight from WCHL Studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It's the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show with your host, Chris and C.L. Brown. Joining us tonight, all-world sports analysis and editor-in-chief of The Athletic DC, David Aldridge. What more do we really need? So many folks on here showing their Spanish knowledge. I think I can, too. When Dude Random tries to get up in my DMs, it's adios. When there's a sale at Macy's, it's arriba, arriba, arriba. And now when you tune into our show, it's goal. Sibling Rivalry Sports. And now it's time for another Sibling Rivalry Sports classic segment. It's time for... Wait, wait, let me just say something. My name is Big Announcer Guy. Now, Big Announcer Guy never gets any kind of recognition on the show or any shows. When you just hear a Big Announcer voice, and then you go on to some kind of segment or something that Chris considers to be funny, and I'm sure Chris alone considers it, and then Big Announcer Guy has to do the outro, and that's it. You don't know who I am. You don't know where I'm from. You don't know if I was raised on a cornfield. or You don't know anything about me. All you know is that it's a Big Announcer Guy voice and that's it we go all the way back to big announcer guys like 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 way 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 back in the day ed mcmahon of johnny carson show he was the original the godfather of big announcer guys and now i am the big announcer guy for this generation and i'm here to tell you that we big announcer guys aren't going to stay down for long we're going to demand our recognition the big announcer guy convention coming soon somewhere in this world i think i can't really say my name so here here's chris cl Yes, <laughs> man. I uh, I'm out here in Vegas for for some meetings in the NBA summer league, and rest assured to know that you're still crazy. <laughs> Suffering in Las Vegas. Wow, what a just productive area, you know, to have your meetings. No distractions, just a quiet. I imagine you guys are in a quiet, like, cornfield setup or something like that. Yeah. We are uh, actually we're in the Raiders' new stadium. <laughs> they're, they're, it's kind of cool. You can see the shell of it. I mean, it's, it's, shoot, it's going up fast as far as I'm concerned. Um but uh yeah, we got we got a lot of good stuff on this show coming up. Um uh some of it based on me being here. We got David Aldrich as a guest. Nice. Long time uh uh NBA uh analyst and and savant, I wanna call him. So, uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, we got some good stuff lined up after a week off for the fourth. That's right. Hope everybody had a happy fourth and now it's time for us to have a happy big playback. Okay, so coming just firing hot off the presses, the overarching question here, CL, for this week's big playback is, has have sports become, and are sports becoming too politicized? Are sports becoming too politicized? I mean, I feel like the answer to that is a resounding no. I think politics in general in our in our country has just become more polarizing to me uh and, and i think some of that is due to social media because where before you might not know where somebody stood or, or what their opinions were politically or whatever and now everything is just out there mm-hmm. you know from people and, and i think it's it's kind of uh you know we have a divide 
so to speak, in, in terms of that. But the sports aspect of it, I mean, we can go back and talk about Jackie Robinson. We can talk about Muhammad Ali. Um, you know, we can talk about the whole, to me, the whole decade of the 60s uh, uh, and even into the 70s. And uh, to me, there, there, there's always, it's hand in hand. You know, um, you, sports at a high level is going to provide you a platform. And if you are somebody who has uh, an issue that you want to bring up, then that's going to be where you bring it up. So, Wait, let me ask you, though, CL, could you expound Jackie Robinson? So what what do you mean when you say Jackie Robinson? Well, um, I mean, you know, he got... Obviously, once he integrated baseball, his platform was huge. And uh, I can't remember which election it was, whether it was 1960 or 64. But uh, there, were, there was certainly a lot of backlash. You know, I think at some point he endorsed uh, Richard Nixon. Um, I think that, you know, I, I'm not saying that it, it was political with him. Uh, integrating baseball like I'm not saying he you know it, it was political in that sense but and, and okay. I, I left out uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith that, that image you know of them standing on the, yes. the podium with their fist raised yes. you know is, is really the first thing that comes to mind when you True. talk about politics and sports I feel like well said well said yeah, you know, Jackie Robinson, when I think of him, um, I mean, I didn't even know that tidbit you just brought up. What I, what I think about is, you know, the integration and, and just his ma- manner and method was businesslike and super classy, just having a high level of integrity and character in the way he did it, regardless of what was happening around him, you know, with the craziness and everything being thrown his way. And he affected an entire sport countless lives and so you know what i mean when i look at him that's why my answer to this this question would be i think so now am i especially irritated by it i don't i don't know that i am i really am not i don't think i think when i see players doing what they do players taking a knee players doing whatever i I am not irritated by it you know, I re- I'm just like, hmm, I wonder, you know, what what his story is, what's her story, what's the what's her the deal behind what they're doing, and then we get on with the game. But I do know a lot of people that are irritated by it, and it's what you said. It, things are so polarized that I've said this before in this show. The Twain, it seems like the Twain shall never meet. The two sides are so focused on their own message and and, and their own slant that there's not really communication that has happens and so i'm just thinking wow i mean you're you're right it is a platform i mean you know thunder sports network is built off of players using their platform of big time sport you know to to express and exemplify their faith so i do agree with the platform you know what i'm saying but i just think wow when when people are um so uh, angered on both sides by it Wow, you just wonder if if a simplification doesn't need to happen, uh, you know, um, getting back to sport. I I don't know. But I got to say, though, CL, I'm telling you, I'm not irritated by it. I'm not irritated. I think I'd be irritated if it just took over every single thing that somebody's 
doing, you know, when they're out there and probably losing also would cause me to become a little irritated. Well, I would I would challenge you though. You said that you felt like it. Am I? Let me make sure I'm correct on this. You feel like it's more now than it's ever been. Like like there are more uh, there are more people bringing politics and sports than ever. Are you? Am I saying that right? Do I? No, I, I actually think I agree with what you were saying, that we've seen, you know, politics on this level before. But but I think what you're saying about uh, public, uh, you know, social media, we know where everybody and their brother stands. It, it, you know what? The platform is not as high. Now, that's what I'll say, CL. The platform does not have to be as high for that voice to be heard because social media, you know, you get on that that lower kind of stage. You might have a higher platform than average Joe, but you still have a platform. So now you can just boom, you can voice anything. So does that make sense or Yeah, no, no, it makes perfect sense. Well, um I, I just think though, uh, and and we've seen it with uh, the women's soccer national team too. Um, you know, uh kind of Megan uh Rapino as the the centerpiece, you know, she's had the, the national anthem protest that she basically um uh talked with Colin Kaepernick after seeing him take a knee and and she uh felt strongly about supporting what he was you know what he was protesting and so she she's continued that um and uh and you know obviously the president got involved too with with what he had to say about her and I, and I, and what I've seen on social media too just in terms of people feeling some type of way about uh, her choosing uh, it, it's different when it's the NFL, the NBA, something that is just national. But here she is on a world stage representing the U.S. And I feel like people, uh, <laughs> I feel like that brought out the worst in people who felt that she shouldn't be protesting on that stage. But I, I go back to, um, to me, there's never, people who are against protests, there's never a right time you know what i'm saying there's never a right time people even when kaepernick first started kneeling people were like well i understand what he's doing but i just wish he wouldn't do it like this isn't the right form or whatever what is the right form you know what i'm saying when when have people who are against what they're protesting anyway when, when people don't feel like they have valid points or whatever um those people are never going to be like, oh, okay, I understand. This is this is the right time to protest. They're never going to be like that. They're always going to be like, well, you know, I mean, we can we can talk about integration and everything like that. We can we can point out, oh, well, those poor students from A and T and Greensboro, they shouldn't. Have, I understand what they're saying, but they shouldn't have sat at the counter at Woolworth. Like, you know what I mean? Like that. I feel like people that are, are feel some type of way about it, they're never going to be on the side of this is the right time to protest. And I feel the same way in terms of how people protest in sports uh, uh, or politicize sports or whatever. I feel like people that are against it are just going to always be against it. Well, but let me ask you, see, though, because, like, you know, the Greensboro Woolworth sit-in, that was not you know at a public spectacle right that was that was a, a, a public um, edifice and everything, but it, it wasn't like something that someone had bought tickets to and were expecting to come in and see something. That that, that was. I think. I, I wonder if 
if what if Kaepernick or someone had a press conference or something like that? If they had a press conference, are you you feel like people would still say, "Well, that's the wrong platform"? I mean, to me, a press conference is oh, yeah. they would they would be shut up in place. I, I feel like that's what they would say. Oh, I don't want to hear. It. You know what I mean? I don't want to hear that from Kaepernick. Then they turn the channel. <laughs> you don't want to hear. If they don't want to hear it, turn the I channel. Mean, I agree, but <laughs> I just don't think I think people that are that feel that kind of way they they would find another excuse no matter how you presented it to them they would find a way to be like you know they they would show their that they don't support well i would just like to say what you're what you're doing Okay. Well, I would just like to say, though, I do think that there's a significant amount of people who would, you know, be like what I'm talking about. Like if it were I, I do think that there's something out there where if it there was another uh, I feel like that's what I've read and heard. If there was another way to, you know, get the information out uh, that people would be fine with it, they're more irritated because they might not agree. And it's in a sports venue, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and you know, again, there's that generic misunderstanding, not really understanding what someone's point is, you know, when they're doing whatever they're doing. Oh, but <laughs> just it keeps going. See, it just keeps going round and round. It does. <laughs> I don't, it does, I don't but even have there, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. That I, I have no optimistic way of of trying to spin like it's it's ever gonna change. I mean, it's that's like that's just how it is, man. Yeah, it, it 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 does keep going, but we don't. We got we got to stop and go on and move on to our awesome guest coming up next. You want to you know give a good ear to our sponsors and then come on back because David Aldridge from the Athletic, editor in chief from the Athletic DC, is right here with us on Sibling Rivalry Sports ninety seven nine The Hill. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. An excellent guest right now for what some would call, you know, the summer doldrums or whatever. I tell you what, things are hot and popping out in Las Vegas along with CL. We have the editor-in-chief from the Athletic DC, very, very tenured, long time, very respected and loved uh, sports writer and sports just uh, what do you call it personality? I think he is he's merged into the 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 the, the personality field. It's not just a you know a writer report. He's a personality. David Aldridge. David, thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. I appreciate being on. All right. And, hey, just right off the top, you know, I always like to get interesting tidbits about everybody. Could you tell us, I saw on your Twitter description, World Glomulus Toys, INC. What is what is World Glomulus Toys? It's something I made up because I like the word glomulus. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has absolutely no meaning whatsoever. Um <laughs> 
everybody had I guess what I was doing there was that you know it seems like everybody has their own production company you know <laughs> yeah. um, so I thought it was kind of I would make fun of that by also making fun of myself by making up a word like glomulus <laughs> yes sounds like something sounds big right <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know what that uh uh, you, you you just look at that title and you're like, okay, that's all about glomulus. Whatever glomulus is, that's that's where the meaning is here. So nice, nice word. All right. Um, well, you know, getting into it, your one of your, I guess your most recent article is talking about the unenforceable tampering rules uh, that the NBA has, and you're saying that they need to get rid of them. Could you expound on that some? Yeah, no, I think it's simple. Look, I, I think the NBA, you know, they had ta- they have the tampering rules in place for a reason. I'm not saying that those rules, you know, it was silly for them to have them. I understand why they have them. They, you know, uh, you know, again, it gets back to the whole small market, large market thing that kind of dominates the NBA discussion. The owners of, of teams in the smaller markets have always been fearful, you know, with some justification that their best players would be taken by the teams in the bigger, more glamorous, quote-unquote, markets, you know, like L.A. and New York especially. Um, and so they wanted to put mechanisms in place that would, that would prevent those teams from contacting their players, except during a specifically agreed-upon time uh, during the offseason. They didn't want those teams to be able to essentially recruit their players at any point during the season. Um, I think that is an idea whose time has passed simply because the advent of technology, you know, with, with smartphones, with social media, Instagram and Twitter, and the ability to communicate on a individual basis with one another it simply makes it impossible for a sports league which does not have subpoena power okay (laughs) not the federal government it's a sports league they can't subpoena your phone records tom brady are you listening um so you've got you know they they are limited in their investigatory power their investigatory power is basically limited to you know somebody says you did this did you do it you know and the person says yes then they'll be punished and if they say no there's not really a whole lot they can do right so um so it just seems silly to me to have these rules in place and to say well you're not allowed to begin negotiating contracts with somebody until six o'clock on on june 30th when at four o'clock on june 30th people are announcing deals like reporters are saying not just saying you know kyrie irving is is going to sign with brooklyn but they're telling you the years and the amount of dollars (laughs) You know, and it's not even like the superstars. They're, they're, you know, they're announcing that Garrett Temple is signing with the Brooklyn Nets for two years and $10 million, you know. And I love G, G Temp, but he's not a superstar, you know. So it's literally like everybody, no matter where you are as a player in the NBA as a free agent, you're doing a deal before that time period. It's just happening, and every team's doing it. Um, and so it just seems silly to me to continue to pretend like you have this rule in place that people are following because nobody's following it, you know? So <laughs> get, get rid of the rule and let people talk to players 
I, you know, to me, I think the, the time frame I would use is, you know, the one that baseball uses, which is the day after the World Series is end, ends, whenever that is, free agency starts. And so to me, for the NBA, it would be the day after the NBA Finals ends. You know, you don't know when that is, but whenever the Finals end, the following day, you can start talking to the players mm-hmm. and start negotiating contracts with them. Um, and I don't think that, to me, it's, it's the only solution that you can partake because there's nothing else that they can do. You know, you can't go in and look at somebody's DMs on their account, on their Twitter account. You know, <laughs> you can't do it. You're not allowed to do that. So, um, so it's, to me, it's an idea whose time has come and gone. It's time to get with the reality, which is that every team in this league tampers. Every team in this league negotiates with agents well before the, the time frame that they're supposed to. So let's just all be adults and realize what's really going on. Hmm. Yeah, kind of piggybacking off of that, David. Um, as somebody who's been around the NBA a long time, uh, this this cycle of free agency to me just kind of it, it blew my mind. I, I was wondering the specific way that Kawhi Leonard kind of orchestrated, you know, uh, uh, the the Paul George trade, <laughs> kind of like mm-hmm. being a pu- puppet master, being able to, right. to get him to the L.A. Clippers along like, do you feel like, is that a new template? Like, do you think that the, in a league where players have so much power as the NBA that that this this wave might, you know, this might start a wave for the future? Well, I, I don't know if it'll be a wave, but certainly at the top level, I think we can expect the best players, you know, the, the top you know, 20 players in the league in a given cycle, in a given time period. Certainly, I think you can expect going forward that those players are going to maneuver to play with the guys they want to play with. (laughs) You know, that's just, that is, to me, the legacy of LeBron James. LeBron is the guy that shows other players you can not just force a trade to another team, but you can force or at least cajole them into signing other players or trading for other players that you want to play with, you know? So it becomes, power becomes almost exponential, right? So, um, so a guy like, you know, Kawhi Leonard, it, you know, it wasn't even that Kawhi Leonard was like, I want to play with this guy. Kawhi Leonard was basically saying, I have to have another star player play with me. I don't care who it is, but you have to go get that person for me. You know, he would have played with Kevin Durant. He would have played with Kawhi Leonard. Or he would have played with Kyrie Irving. He would have played with Jimmy Butler. At the as it turned out, the one that he got was Paul George. You know, so um, you know if he hadn't gotten Paul George, maybe he would have said Bradley Beal. I don't know. You know, but he was determined to go somewhere where it wasn't just him. You know, and that, and that was going to be. And so the fallback for him was, if I can't get the Clippers to make this deal, I'm going to go sign with the Lakers and play with LeBron and play with um, Anthony Davis. Hmm. So the Clippers knew that and acted accordingly. Yeah. So uh, at at any point, will will there be a point where um, there's there's pushback? I don't know if pushback is the right word, but the, the owners will try and kind of take that, that, power back away like 
I, I feel like it, it's, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of old school in the sense that, you know, I, I, I like a team being able to draft players and, and just build your franchise that way. And, you know, mm-hmm. you win or lose based on the moves you make and how smart you are about it or what have you. And so I, I wonder if, you know, are, is that a just is this a, <laughs> is this a pipe dream of mine to, to believe that can still happen? I mean, is it should I just resign myself to the fact that players are going to move the way they want to move now? And, and you know, <laughs> uh, you better have a, a good GM or, or your team isn't going to be good. Well, I guess I would ask, you know, that's a question that's on multiple levels. So I'll try to address them all the levels that I can. I would say that first and foremost, um, players exercising their power through free agency or through demanding a trade. I think, yeah, I would say if you, if you have a problem with that, um, I would hope you also have a problem with teams trading players that don't want to leave (laughs) um, because it's better for the team to do so. I mean, the Clippers told, made this huge presentation to to Blake Griffin saying he's going to be a Clipper for life. He's the, you know, he's the most important player in the history of the franchise. They literally made t-shirts comparing him to Martin Luther King and other, (laughs) other (laughs) icons, historical icons. You're that guy for us. And they traded him six months later to Detroit. Now, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's okay if they did that. If they felt like that was the best thing for their franchise, they are allowed to do that. Players are allowed to do it too. <laughs> so right, you yeah. to, you, if you believe it for one, you got to believe it for everybody. Yeah. You know, to me. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that I'm not sure that even if you know if the owners, I'm sure the owners do want to you know, address this and figure out some way to kind of limit this player movement. Um, I'm not really sure what you can do in that regard because they thought or they hoped that the Supermax contract would do that for them. You know, they thought, okay, well, we're just going to create a mechanism where we throw so much money at a player that he can't turn it down. He has to, he'll have to resign and stay where he is. Kawhi Leonard walked away from $80 million. He would have, if he had stayed in San Antonio, the team that drafted him under the rules, they were allowed to offer him a Supermax contract, which would have been $220 million. $220 million, that's more than a fifth of a billion dollars. Okay? (laughs) And he said no. He said no. And he went and engineered a a trade, or engineered a trade to, to Toronto, he didn't engineer the trade to Toronto. He engineered the trade. They traded him to Toronto. And then he could have reset in Toronto for $190 million because they could offer him a year more than anybody else. And he said no to that. And he off, went and signed as a free agent with the Clippers for $140 million. Now, look, $140 million is life-changing money. It's generational money. We're not going to have to have any telethons for Kawhi Leonard, okay? <laughs> He's going to be fine. <laughs> but he, had, he walked away from $80 million. <laughs> so if a guy's willing to do that, there's not really a whole lot that an owner can do to keep him where he, where he is. True. He's just not. Yeah. You know, yeah. it just, it just, so that's the reality of it. But I would say this. You can mitigate the chances or mitigate 
your player being unhappy to the point where they want to be traded by having a good front office, by having a good coaching staff, by having a good organization, by having by putting good teammates around him. I mean, it's a it, it's not easy, but it is doable. You know, it is doable. You have you have to, but you have to be really good at what you're doing in terms of putting a, a team together and being attractive. I mean, you know, the Nets. I go back to Brooklyn after they made the trade with Boston. They didn't have any picks. They didn't have any players. You know, they didn't have really good ownership. I mean, Prokhorov was barely here as an owner. And they turned it around. <laughs> and they made themselves attractive enough to, to get both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant to come there. I mean, and that wasn't 20 years ago. That was four years ago, you know. <laughs> so they, in a four-year period... They rebuilt their organization top to bottom. They hired smart people to run their organization. And those people were empowered to do what was necessary to create an environment where you could get two of the top ten players in the league to come play for you. Okay, so that it can be done. You know, so, so you have to, as a, as a team, I guess as an owner or as a team, you know, Stop making excuses and, and put a better product on the floor and put a better organization together to do entice good players to come there and good, to keep good players from leaving there. Hey, David, okay, so real quick, just to kind of flesh it out for, for our audience, what is your definition of a good front office? Yeah, what does that look like? I think it's, you know, it's, it's this buzzword culture that people use. Mm-hmm. But it's simply this. It is having a, te- having a front office which utilizes, you know, old school and new school, you know, the analytics are important, but also understands that this is a business about people and you have to create an environment where people like being around the 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 team, right? <laughs> they like their teammates, they like their coaches, they like the people behind the scenes, the development people, they like the people in the medical department, they like the analytical people. You have to create an environment where people like coming to work. It's no different from anything else. <laughs> it's the same concept. You want to be happy when you go to work. You don't want to be miserable when you go to work. You know, so when you go to your job, you want to be like, hey, I like being here. I like working for these people. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy I enjoy the, the I enjoy my teammates. I enjoy my fellow workers, my fellow employees. My boss is pretty cool. OK, I, you know, he's my boss, but he's pretty cool. You know, um, so. That it's it's simple. Create an environment where people like working there. That's all, and that's what what the good teams do. So I, I we'll let you go on this last question, David. Um, <laughs> what is it going to take for the Charlotte Hornets to be to to create that culture to to be able to uh, to have a breakthrough? I, I know it's kind of a tough position with whether or not to max out, uh, give Kimball Walker the super max and everything like yeah. that. And, yeah. um, you know, you end up losing them and not getting anything in return. I kind of felt like they should have tried to trade them last year, you know, kind of with this in mind, well, but well, what, is, yeah. what do you feel like it's going to take for them? Well, I mean, you know, Kemba is a very instructive case. Um, you, it, it, I think it's going to be very difficult to attract free agents when you don't offer your best player and one of the best players in the league a max contract. I mean, that's the language in which 
the best players in, in the game speak, is that they feel that they deserve max deals. And whether or not you agree with that or not, that's what they're operating on. <laughs> you know, so if you're not willing to do that, for whatever reason, that sends a message to other players that, ah, I'm not sure that, that Charlotte's a place I want to go because if I become the best in the league or among the best in the league, are they going to take care of me? You know, are they going to do what, what every other team does with their great players, you know, which is to offer them as much money as possible? That's the currency in which they deal with. And so you have to, organizationally, you got to ask yourself if that's something that you're going to do going forward. Because if you're not, you can still put good teams together, but it's going to be very hard to put a great team together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know Michael Jordan as well as, as anybody um, who's who's covered the league. How, how do you think that he's <laughs> dealing with a, basically a, a, a team that's, uh, you know, uh, at best kind of like flirting with the, the low-end playoff seed and, and not, not really being able to build a contender there? Yeah, well, I know personally, I did have a chance to talk to him a couple months ago for a piece I wrote for The Athletic. It's killing him. You know, personally, it's killing him. He wants to win. You all know how competitive Michael Jordan is, you know, but he is the owner of the team, you know, so, so he can change that perception, you know, immediately, quickly, you know. Um, you've got to be willing to do what other teams do, you know, and again, it's not just it's not just the contracts, but the contracts are very important. Um, but it's also putting together, you know, a, a, a coaching staff and a front office staff that that make players confident that staying there and being there is the place they want to be. It's not that the Hornets don't give out money; they pay. They paid for a lot of contracts. They paid, mm-hmm. but it's spending the money on the right people and spending the amount and spending the right amount of money on the right people and then taking care of your best people. Mm-hmm. And those are things that, that they're going to have to, I think, do um, going forward. Uh, if they're going to contend because it's not, it's not the first place that a free agent is going to think of mm-hmm. right now, you know, and that doesn't make them different from most teams in the NBA. I mean, most, you know, you know, Memphis isn't the first place that people think of. Minnesota is not the first place that people think of. You know what I mean? So, so everybody's yeah. dealing with that. Um, but you can create an environment where people feel more comfortable and, and more feel like your your championship, you know, uh, habits are being built throughout the construction of, of your front office and your coaching staff and all those things. David Eldridge, folks. Uh, David Aldridge. I'm sorry, Aldridge, folks. Uh, little Southern mispronunciation there. Uh, yeah, folks. As his name has really come to to, to mean over the years, just quality, deep, deep quality. So thank you so much for joining us. He's the editor-in-chief of The Athletic DC, and you can check out you know the articles we've been talking about on, on TheAthletic.com. David Aldridge, thank you, David. You guys uh, you guys have fun at your meeting out there in Vegas. Uh, I'm sure that's going to be super productive and get uh, so much done out there. Yeah, that, that's uh, a great location to have that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, stay tuned. We got more of the show coming up here on 97.9 The Hill.
Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill, where we always chill. Oh, my goodness. David Aldridge. That, I mean, there just so many other things, especially with the, what we're talking about at the end with the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, CL, for me, it's like, okay, are they doomed? Are they doomed? Because I know that Jordan's about excellence as an owner, so he's about excellence, and I think he can provide those things that would uh, create a good front office, right? And I think he could step away from it, too, you know, be distant enough. But I just don't know how that culture, how would that happen, man? I, I don't know that. I don't know how that would happen unless your owner Im- Im- imbues it somehow. He, he doesn't have to be there, but just seems like the owner needs that. That has to be his call, what he does business like. Well, at, at this point, I feel like it's – we haven't even – I don't even think they've gotten to the culture the culture issue as a problem or, or a benefit, for that matter. I think they've, they've been unlucky at times. You look back at the 2012 draft when they, you know, they should have had uh, Anthony Davis. They should have had the number one overall pick. And they end up, you know, the balls don't bounce their way. They get number two. And Michael K. Gilchrist, you know, he's been an average player, essentially. Um, and you can't have a number two pick end up being an average player. That's got to be a star you know, uh, on the team. And uh, I feel like some of the moves they made, some of the kind of gambles they've, they've taken in terms of contracts um, and, and offers that they've had that just haven't panned out either. So I, I think... Some of it is, you know, some of it is luck. Some of it is the moves they've made. Um, Ultimately, they've got to, you know, with with Kimba going to Boston now, they're pretty much got (laughs) to crash and burn and start to build from scratch again. And and, uh, I hope it kind of works out differently this time, especially because I think this year they're going to lose a lot of games. And (laughs) they could be in a position to get a number one pick next. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's it's going to be a long haul for before the the Hornets are back in the playoffs. Well, CL, so yeah, what about uh, speaking of more you know North Carolina center products and have you uh, the state of North Carolina? What is going on out there with uh, the uh, summer league and, and 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 names that would be of interest along Tobacco Road? Well, um, I think Kobe White so far is. is having a productive uh summer league uh, it's funny with the results out here you can't buy too much into it and you can't you can't sell a kid <laughs> either by by the way he plays here because we can look at last year with trey young um who, who's point guard with atlanta he had a horrible shooting performances and stuff and he had a horrible summer league last year and he turned out to be uh, you know, one of the best rookies in the league this year. So, um, so it's it's like you got to take it with a grain of salt. But I would rather have a kid come here and play well, like Kobe White is doing right now. Uh, R.J. Barrett from Duke kind of struggled a little bit in his first couple of games. Seemed like he got his feet under him and, and had a good showing the other night. Um, I kind of am disappointed that you know Zion he he had the what is it the knee bruise I think they diagnosed him with and they shut him down for the rest of the summer league which it's not important for him to play obviously um, these results don't matter but it would have been good just to you know just to see him mm-hmm. and uh, Cam Johnson too uh, out in Phoenix uh, Phoenix won't basically shut him down and and. Uh, 
Ty Jerome for Virginia. Uh, both of them that technically they got in a trade, so they're not playing out here either. Um, so, you know, I think uh, I think there's some promising starts. Nasir Little um, the other night for Portland made some athletic plays. Um, nice. I still feel like once he, you know, wants to once he gets in the NBA, uh, the official training camp and everything going to the season, I think he's he's in a situation on a veteran team where um, I think he's going to end up playing a lot of a lot of time in the G League to to actually get the good minutes he'll need to develop, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to playing sparingly with a you know with a playoff team and the way the the West is reconfigured. Uh, by all the free agency moves and everything like that, um, it's it's you know <laughs> I I don't I'm not discounting Portland. I, I think they'll be be right in the thick of things because you know now that we're down to no more quote unquote super teams and, and mm. manageable dynamic duos, uh, Portland mm. has one of the best too. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I I, I, I do want to keep an eye just to see on how he's going to be used. Nasir Little is going to be used out there, but. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, so far in the summer league, he at least has some positives going into, you know, he'll have positives going into the, the fall camp. Yeah, and you know what? Shout out to my boy B. Rick out there in Portland, the de facto mayor of Portland is what I call him. I'm going to have to make sure that he looks out for Nasir and, and, and helps Nasir out, specifically with how to, how to find a place to get a haircut, because I'm telling you, that's not, <laughs> that's not an automatic in Portland, Oregon. But that's a friendly, daggone city. And I can talk junk, folks, because I've lived there for a year. Okay, we got to keep going, though. Um, so we're going to move on to the brownout. That's next. Keep it live. 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. It's time for the brownout. The brownout. Coco Goff at 15 became the youngest player in 20-plus years to win at Wimbledon. Was it a flash in the pan or the seed of something greater? Coco, say it ain't so, so. Oh, man. Wow. Wow. What a what a great uh, just little spectacle. Uh, was she a flash in the pan, though? There's no way. There is no way that a 15-year-old goes and does what she does and has the success she had on that platform, and that's all we ever hear from her. No way, because she's got something built in, and that now is confidence. I've been there. I can do it, and she's, she's she wants more. At least we're wanting more. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that um, she won. I think it was the the French Open Junior Tournament that they had, and um, I, I think she's on her way. When I saw her, when I watched the match against Venus, you could just tell she's got that competitive fire. Like she, as much as she talked about Venus paving the way and that kind of thing, and looking up to her when she was on the court, it was like. Venus breathed the same air as me. So <laughs> you like to see that in, in a competitor. I just, uh, one thing, a uh, buddy of mine at the Shadow League, Karan Phillips, wrote in a column this past week. I just want people, and I agree with Karan, I want people to let her be a 15 year old, let her develop at her own pace, and, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. Too late for that, Kawan. Next question. 
Now that the U.S. women's national soccer team won the World Cup, do they deserve to win their quest for equal pay? Well, so, yeah, I mean, I think on that platform, CL, I would say I don't see any reason to to justify not having equal play, pay because so many people tune in that uh, I think your your ratings for USAW soccer they are comparable to any other ratings you know so I, I don't know why there would be anything different than equal pay on that level now I will say though that on other levels I have a different opinion but on that world stage though and what they've done the uh, equal pay I mean I agree with that too I, I, I don't even see why it's taken this long um, to, to become a factor and uh, as much as they've done for women's soccer in this nation um, as much as they've done for I feel like uh, young girls who look up and, and see their excellence on the world stage uh, that needs to be rewarded Amari Stoudemire is trying to get back into the NBA after injuries forced an early retirement. If you were a GM, would you sign him? Well, no basketball, no Amari. Sorry. I'm saying, uh, (laughs) folks, that's drawn out of a little rhyme from our childhood. But listen, you know what? I... uh, uh, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't like to be a naysayer and a doubter. I just. I am a firm believer that there's a time in an athlete's life where they get the the message from their body and 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 circumstances. It's time to stop it. It's time to hang them up. And it is so hard, I believe, for the competitors that professional athletes are to to acknowledge it, even if they feel like it's premature. You know. So I, I personally think that it is. It it has happened, and I don't. I if I were Jim, I would not. I wouldn't do it, CL. Well, I think it would depend on what what team I had. If I had a team where I felt like, I mean, he's only thirty six. So if, if I had a, a team where I felt like he could have some, you know, select minutes off the bench and still help my club, I, I would definitely sign him. Um, obviously, he'd be a shell of what he was, athletically mm-hmm. speaking, but he's a veteran in this league and, you know, knows how to play the game. So um, I, I might take a chance on him if, if if all things. If I had a young team, though, uh, I wouldn't sign him just because I would want the young guys to get all the reps they could get and all the playing time they could get. And, and it, to me, there would really be no upside of having uh, Amari on that on that kind of a squad. Well said. Does the new audio of Kansas City Chiefs receiver Tyree Kill discussing a 2014 domestic violence incident with his partner change your opinion of him? Yeah, so with regards to that 11-minute recording, the first question that I had was, um, why are they even traveling together? Like, uh, I don't know. It just seems like if that were an outstanding issue in my relationship, that the, the, the traveling and the business class and all that, it seems like it is dysfunctional to be doing that and going around and, you know, acting like a hunky door when there's this humongous, like, stranger things, uh, like, underworld, you know, underneath everything. You know, you gotta, yeah, you know, get, get that monster and destroy it and 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 clear the air you know and uh so uh, anyway and not in the middle of an airport not while you're walking through an airport you know uh so 
and I did feel like it was a little manipulative of Tariq to be walking through there and making these claims and then wanting her to be quiet while she's, while she's responding. So, uh, yeah, all that did was just kind of sink me deeper into the mire of kind of the dysfunction that is apparent. And I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, elitist or whatever, condescending. I'm just saying, good grief, good grief. There's a lot there's a lot of struggle there and there's a lot that needs to be shored up. Well, I still don't I mean, I don't think in my mind it doesn't help them at all. Um, I still have the same opinion of them. I mean, he pled guilty to domestic assault and battery in that case. If I'm innocent, I'm not pleading guilty. Period. <laughs> like there's no especially of a charge as serious as that. There there would be no uh, there would be no kind of compromise on my value on that. And and from the audio, there was a part where she says, where did the bruises come from? And he didn't really have an answer for that, except that, did I hit you? So, you know, I guess it's good that he didn't hit her, if, if all of that is true. But still, I mean, whatever you did left bruises on her, so... Uh, you know, it, it really doesn't change my opinion of Tyreek Hill at all. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it's it's almost like a D minus is barely better than an F. That, I think that's where I am on that one. But you, you make a good point. All right, they're all good points coming from CL, coming from David Aldridge. We try, folks. We try, and we want you to come on back next week. We're gonna keep trying right here on Sibling Rivalry Sports. Uh, so my name is Chris Brown. I'm CL Brown. And this is Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill.